Thank you so much, all of you who participated in the week of prayer. We had a wonderful week of prayer, a great amount of participation uh, downtown, and here we were here Wednesday night. Thank you so much for participating in that, uh, what I feel like is the greatest week of our, our church year. And uh, if you didn't make it, you didn't get to participate for whatever reason, uh, put it on your calendar for next year. We'll do it again next year and just make it a high priority. Uh, also, I appreciate all of you. I've gotten a lot of good feedback. Those of you who participated in the Inquire initiative and you've been uh, uh, reading uh, Long Obedience in the same direction. Uh, several people told me that uh, the first chapter was rough, but after that it was incredible. So if you haven't read it yet, just skip the first chapter and it'll still be great. So a lot of you are reading that. Some of you have done the Daniel Fast with us, and uh, I know that's been a blessing in your life as it has mine. I can't wait for tomorrow morning, though. Uh, I'm going to drive to that new muffin place in Menden that I keep hearing about. Uh, but uh, thank you for participating in all of those things and, um, and acts. Uh, some of you have some of you been doing the acts uh, prayer uh, every day. Uh, well, I can't see any hands, but uh, I'll trust you are. So uh, anyway, I know a lot of you have told me that you have, and I appreciate it very, very much for participating. Uh, I want us to go places together. And I can, I'm going to preach this morning. The title of my message is The Best Prayer Request Ever. The Best Prayer Request Ever. I could uh, preach a sermon today about uh, how to get what you want from God or how to get what you need from God, four steps to getting what you need from God. And, uh, but I don't believe that would be all that fruitful because uh, there really isn't some sort of magic formula for always getting what you think you need from God. Uh, there's a better prayer then God give me what I want or give me even what I need, even though that's okay to pray that. Uh, we're not going to stop praying that. Sometimes we're sure. You know, sometimes we're just sure that a new car, a new house, a new friend, a new job, a new school, a new spouse, a new business opportunity is going to make our lives better. So that's what we seek God about. Or we, if we have kids, we feel like their advancement. They're getting into the college of their choice. They're getting into the career that we'd like for them to have. They're making the team. They're getting a lot of playing time. That's the key to our joy. It's kind of like Aladdin's lamp and other mythical stories that so often people live happily ever after, after their wishes are granted. But the best prayer request ever is not a prayer request for one more thing to own or one more place to, to visit or another stranger to build a relationship with. A clue to the greatest prayer ever request is that most of our joy and frustration is because of how we've handled what we already had, right? Or it's not our absence of what we don't have. Malcolm Mugridge said this, never our archeologist will surely conclude was any generation of men intent upon the pursuit of happiness and plenty more advantageously, advantage, advantageously, I can't say that word, advantageously, there we go, advantageously placed to obtain their objective. Let me read that again. Never, our archeologists will surely conclude, was any generation of men intent upon the pursuit of happiness and plenty more advantageously placed to obtain their objective who yet, with amazing deliberation, took the opposite course. Towards chaos, not order, 
toward breakdown, not stability, toward despair, not hope, nor stability, towards despair and darkness, towards death, destruction, and darkness, not life, creativity, and light, an ascent that ran downhill, plenty that turned into a wasteland. So our problem has never been that we haven't been given enough, that we haven't had enough blessings. God put man in a beautiful garden with only one provision. Don't taste the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's the significance of that? What, the, what is the significance of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? In other words, God was saying, don't become a know-it-all. Don't try to be your own counselor. Don't try to be your own attorney. Don't try to be your own counsel. God lavished this unbelievable provision, beauty and love on Adam and Eve. In fact, let me just say this right now. If you have any problems in life, always go back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 are perhaps the most important chapters in the Bible. All you need to know is found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Go back there and you find the foundation for all of our blessings. You found the foundation for all of our problems. And you find the foundation for our redemption. So God lavished all these things on Adam and Eve with only one condition, that they never think apart from him, that they never act apart from him. And I want you to notice what happened to Adam and Eve. They didn't reject God as reality. They didn't become atheists. They didn't reject God as a relationship. They didn't say, we don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. They didn't say, we don't, if they were in today's world, they didn't say, we don't want to go to church anymore. They rejected him as the sage and source of wisdom. Genesis 3, 8, 9, when they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? Where were they? They were hiding from the counsel and wisdom of God. Then came along a man, many hundreds of thousands of years later, who would be the wisest human who would ever lived apart from Christ. And it's because he prayed the best prayer ever. First Kings chapter three, verse four. This is our text. We're gonna, this is our jumping off scripture today. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to set on his throne this very day. So here we have it. I'm going to finish reading that. But young King Solomon, this young, this millennial, who now is the king, blessed beyond measure already, high position, a lot of power, a lot of authority. But he understood something very important, which these next words will reveal. But now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. 
Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So you give, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. The best prayer ever. The best prayer ever is, I am weak. Strengthen me. I am ignorant. Enlighten me. The failure in Adam and Eve was not that they didn't have enough blessings, but they had concluded that it was an insult to their significance to need God's guidance. God's wisdom and God's understanding through the decades and centuries that followed, many people, many people through the centuries that followed and the years that followed cried out for God to bless their crops, spare their life, make them fruitful, But finally, a man prayed, God, I have it all, but I don't know what to do with it all. What if we begin to pray that? God, God, I I have a marriage. What do I do with it? I I have children. What do I do with them? I have a career. What do I do with it? I have a, 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 a physical body. What do I do with it? What do I do with what you have given me, oh God? What made the best prayer request ever is not just what it said, though. What made the best prayer request ever, the best prayer request ever, was what it was based on. The best prayer request ever was based on the idea that I am small, but God is great. I am small, but God is great. Notice what David said, or or Solomon said. Now, O Lord, my king, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. One of the reasons I can't give you, I don't feel right about giving you five steps to get everything you want from God, is because it removes from you and I the very basis of power with God And that is that we pray the will of God. The very basis for power with God is that we begin to pray the will of God. And how in the world can you find out the will of God if you don't ask for the will of God? If you don't ask for his knowledge and his counsel and you don't realize he is great, but I am small. Let me read an excerpt to you from Robert Wells' children's book. Is a blue whale the biggest thing there is? Here's what he says. The largest animal on earth is the blue whale. Just the flippers on its tail are bigger than most animals on earth. But a blue whale isn't anywhere near as big as a mountain. If you put 100 blue whales in a huge jar, you could put millions of whale jars inside a hollowed out Mount Everest. But Mount Everest isn't anywhere near as big as the earth. If you stack 100 Mount Everest on top of one another, it would be just a whisker on the face of the earth. And the earth isn't anywhere near as big as the sun. You could fit one million earths inside the sun. But the sun, which is a medium-sized star, isn't anywhere near as big as the real supergiant star called Antares. 50 million of our suns could fit inside Antares. But Antares isn't anywhere near as big as the Milky Way galaxy. 
Billions of stars, including supergiants like Antares, as well as countless comets and asteroids, make up the Milky Way galaxy. But the Milky Way galaxy isn't near, anywhere near as big as the universe. There are billions of other galaxies in the universe. And yet, filled with billions of galaxies, the universe is almost totally empty. The distance from one galaxy to another are beyond our imagination. And the creator of this universe is God, who with a word spoke it all into being, who is present everywhere in this universe and beyond, who upholds it all with his mighty power. That's who you have the privilege of calling our Father, which art in heaven. <laughs> Solomon embraced the idea of a big God and a small self. That was, his, that was the secret sauce. That was the secret sauce of Solomon's amazing prayer life, was he embraced the idea of a big God and a small self. I'm afraid we've reversed that. We've reversed it. And we've imagined God as the genie in the bottle, the little genie in the bottle. And we're the big self. We're the big personage. We're the big being that has all these wants and needs and desires. And we're so overwhelmed with our needs and thoughts and frustrations and desires that our prayer time is often just a, a, a rehearsal of all of, our, all of our anxieties. And it's never the silence of saying, God, speak to me. I am small. You are great. I know many of you have heard the Louis Giglio sermon about that, where he talks about the blue dot, the, the pale blue dot, which is the earth. And they took this picture from the Hubble telescope, gazillions of miles out there in space. And you see this little thing that in the image that you see is about the size of your little finger, if that, and that's earth. And yet we have such enormous egos. And then you are inside that little dot somewhere. Oh, let me encourage you today. This is not going to reduce your faith to, to, to believe God for a better car. <laughs> this is not going to reduce your, your faith to believe God for a, for a better friend or a new friend or whatever you need in terms of relationships. This is not going to reduce your faith to pray that God will get you out of that one-bedroom apartment into a three-bedroom. This is not going to reduce your faith, and it's not going to reduce the likelihood that you're going to get that stuff. But that stuff, that, all that stuff's just going to be an addition. It's going to be the icing on the cake. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you. It's going, it's going to be the dessert after the meal. And the meal is going to be the glory of God and the presence of God in your life, which is what's going to really make you happy. Amen? Give the Lord a hand. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The best prayer request ever is based on the idea that I am limited in my understanding, but God is unlimited. Think about it. Every day we delight and, and, and we delight in, in our, pro, our productivity by cooperating with the laws of physics, the rhythms of the planet, our eight biological systems, and more, all put there by the Father in heaven. 
He knows how stuff works. He knows how your body works. He knows how your relationships work. He knows how to raise kids. Amen? God knows how to raise children. God was horrified when he came to engage with Adam and Eve, and they were working hard to make themselves unavailable. What had gone wrong? What did he do to deserve to be shut out? Could it be that they wanted ownership of the creation? What was it? What, why did they no longer trust that he knew how creation worked best? He wasn't trying to take stuff from them. He wasn't trying to take the creation away from them. He was just saying, I want to be your partner to show you how it works and how you can enjoy it to the max. Hold up a baby. Hold up a baby and think about it. The God who created this wants to give me free counseling. The God who created this is offering me free counsel. If you've been been to a professional counselor lately, and I know I recommend someone that a lot of you have gone to, uh, he should start start giving me a a cut. (laughs) Because he doesn't counsel as inexpensively as I do. Now, you know it's not free. It's, it, it's good. In fact, that is way a part of getting. I want to clarify here before I get into the weeds. <laughs> part of the way you get the counsel of God is to go to good people, God's people. That's part of how you, way you get the counsel of God. So. But God, God is also giving you this Bible, the one that's in your phone. <laughs> you know, we used to hold up a black book. God is giving you the Bible, it's the one that's in your phone, and saying, I have counseling for you that's free. Freely, not only will I give you counseling, I will give you grace to do what I tell you to do. Amen? The best prayer request ever is based on the attitude that significance, my significance, that God would, would honor me like this is completely unearned and undeserved. Now, I take that thought from 1 Kings 3, 4. It says, then King, the king, Solomon, went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings at the only altar. Solomon realized our separation from God was so great that he put a thousand sacrifices between himself and God. He knew he needed to have help to have access to God. I contend that we're not powerful in prayer until we are thoroughly realized that we fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't mean we're worthless. We're not worthless, but we're unworthy. We don't have to bring lambs and doves anymore that are offered blood sacrifices, but we do have to embrace the fact that Jesus Christ lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died to have access to the wisdom and counsel of God. Solomon followed the pattern of of honoring sacrifice before he was given the door to make the big request that he made. When Tom Keller talks about the basis of prayer being favor, he compares the difference between a business relationship and a family relationship. We talked about it here Wednesday night a little bit. In a business relationship, the basis is performance. In a family relationship, the basis is commitment. The business relationship is based on what I have, but the family relationship is based on who I am. The way the business relationships work works is if you perform, you're accepted. The way the family relationship works is if, if you're accept, you will perform. It's a beautiful thing. 
the idea that we're in a business relationship instead of a grace relationship will cause us to go to prayer without anxiety or annoyance. If you go to prayer and you're highly anxious or highly annoyed, it might be because, A, you believe that God's not going to hear you because of, of your sins or because of your past. And so you're anxious and you're, you feel ashamed. Or if you go to God in prayer and you're, you're, you're angry and, and, ups, and annoyed, it might be because you feel like, I performed and God didn't come through. I, 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 I went to church, I gave in the offering, I, I tried to be nice to my spouse, I tried to do those things, and God didn't come through for me. That's because you have a business relationship with God, and you are not related to God, you are not family. That's not how family works. The best prayer request ever is based on knowing that I have an undeserved favor and that the God of the universe allows me into his presence not only to get what I want and get what I need, but God allows me into his presence to find out how to handle what I have and manage what he has already blessed me with. What a great deal. The best prayer request ever is focused on living a life that gets results. God had said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Solomon was interested in what the results of his kingship would be. He was interested in the results of what his work would be. What would happen? What would be the end? What would be the legacy that he would leave? What is our results? Dr. Phil's coined the phrase, how is that working out for you? What are the results? You know, God is into results. You know that? God is into results. When it comes to compassion, God is the socialist. But when it comes to productivity, God is a capitalist. God expects results. It's all over the Bible. God wants results. And God not only wants results for him, he wants results for you. God wants your life to work well. God wants, I, I could bury you for the next hour. I could spend an hour just giving you scriptural texts that show you that God wants your life to work well. Just look at the one list, if I can sidetrack for a minute. The list of when God says what the, what the uh, 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 requirements are for elders and deacons. When God says what the requirements are for elders and deacons, it lists all these beautiful things that their life, their family, their marriage, their children, it's working together in great harmony. That lets me know that's what God wants to do for us. God, th this young King Solomon impressed God because God gave him a blank check and he, fill, he filled it in with, make me good at what I do. Cause me to succeed at my new job. And God likes those kinds of prayers. God likes it when you say, I want to be a good parent. I want to be a good spouse. I want to be a good pastor. God loves it when we start praying those kinds of prayers. God loves it when we start praying kinds of prayers that let him know we want our life to be fruitful. We want our life to be a blessing to other people. Jesus said this in an amazing little verse. 
Wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Some of you have all the opportunity of results before you, or most of them. You're a teenager, or you're a young adult. You're a millennial. So you have the opportunity before you for all the results of your life. Some of us are already living with a lot of the results of our life. And I want you to know, as I look out of this congregation, and as I thought about preaching this point, I know I've been on the inside of many of your lives. I've been in your homes. You shared with me. I've prayed with you through times of difficulty. I understand that some of us are living with results that aren't great. And the last thing I would want to do would be to hurt you who are already hurting. The last thing I would want to do is to, to shame you or make you feel bad for any of that. I don't want to do that. I understand today that there are some things that just have to be put in the category of mystery. I don't know why things turned out bad. I don't know why it didn't turn out good. I don't know why businesses didn't work out. I don't know why financial ruin comes to everybody that financial ruin comes to. I don't know why, fully know why, some people's children don't turn out well or they don't serve God. I can't answer that for you when it's gone bad. But what a gift it would be to give to God and to yourself, to those around you, to ask God, God, are some of the results that I'm living with today are because I did not pursue your wisdom. I did not pursue your counsel, and now I'm living with the consequences. Now, it doesn't matter in terms of your future, because God is always ready for you to write a new chapter. I don't care if you're 8 or 80. God is always ready to, for you to write a new chapter in your life. I think I see Al. I see you in the darkness. Al Landry out there this morning. Al Landry, uh, I know he doesn't mind me sharing this with him, with you this morning. Al Landry left the church, and I know he would, he would share. He's talked to me about his life, and he, he left the wisest path for his life at age 23. And for 50 years, stayed away from church. At age 73, Al came into this church, made a recommitment of his life to Christ, and I've had such wonderful times of prayer with Al. Al is just totally humble before God, totally praying, but not, not crippled with, with doubt or shame or any of that, not crippled with, with guilt or anything like that, but just bearing faith on on, on a life that he, he, he stepped away from living it in church. He stepped away from living it in, in, the, in, the, in the best counsel of God, I'm sure he would say today, but he didn't let it prevent him from coming back to the mercy and grace of God and having God impact everything in his life now, past, present, and future. Amen? Thank you. Al just about brought the whole family to church. But I want you to know something. God really gets interested in blessing us when we really start caring about how 
things turn out and not just how they feel at the moment. Foolishness is always hyper-focused in the present experience, the momentary thrill, the temporary comfort. Wisdom is always about the eventual, the end, the outcome, the result. Proverbs 15, 21 says, Folly is a joy to him who has no sense. Wisdom is about results. Wisdom is about wanting good results. I want a certain result with my kids. I want a certain result with my health. I want a certain result with my finances. I want a certain result with my church. God loves it when we want our church to to succeed. God loves it when we pray, God, how can we become a better church? How can we reach more people with the message of grace? How can we grow? How can we grow? How can we need a second service? God, how can we do it? God loves it when we care about results. We're in a culture today that tends to care more about feelings than we do results. We tend to care more about how we feel and how we're making everybody around us feel than we are a goal. Our results are what we call fruit. Laura Schlesinger said 25 years ago, I heard her say it, we've raised feelings to a level of irresistible force. So many times I've given people counsel, and basically they will say in so many words, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not going to do it. Did you realize today that the main reason you're on earth, you know what the main reason you're on earth? And God wants you to feel good. He gave you these emotions and joy. He wants you to feel good. But the main reason you're on earth is to show off God's wisdom. You know that? That's the main reason you're on the earth, to show off God's wisdom. Scotty, I'm looking at you here in the front row, and we know you got some wisdom from God. You took it back to work, and you got like a, I don't remember now, $20,000 a year raise because he used the wisdom of God, and God loved that. God loved that, not because of some flaky prosperity sermon that he heard that he's going to demand that God give him a raise, but because God loves it when your prosperity is combined as a, a display of his wisdom a display of his wisdom. God loves it. God loves you showing off for him. He really does. Ephesians 3.10, and this is not going to be on the screen, but you ought to write it down. This is a great verse. His purpose was that through the church, all the rulers and powers in the heavenly world will now know God's wisdom, which has so many forms. Through the church, all the rulers and powers in the heavenly world will now know God's wisdom. God gets giddy when he believes you want your life to be a demonstration of his wisdom and a living contradiction of the wisdom of hell. Because we are created in the image of God, what makes us happy is what makes God happy. Listen to the words of the Queen of Sheba when she came to visit Solomon. How happy your men must be. This is after Solomon prospered. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Now God, we will see that God not only gave Solomon wisdom, 
but he also gave him long life and wealth, which he didn't ask for. God is not a stingy God. God does not mind giving you the big house or the nice car. God does not mind bringing a beautiful person into your life. God wants to do that. God wants to do that stuff. He's just waiting. He's just waiting till we say, God, I don't know everything. God, I'm a child. I need your counsel. I need your wisdom. You see, Christians tend to think that the problem, some, some have given up on the blessings of God in, 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 the, in any way. Christians tend to think the problem is that we aren't in heaven yet. Therefore, we have to just grin and bear it, white knuckle it through all kinds of dysfunction. But the problem is actually not that we're not in heaven yet. That's not the problem. You say, well, I, all these things in my life, it's because I'm not in heaven yet. No, that's not the problem. The problem is we haven't prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That's the problem. Now, I'm not guaranteeing you'll have all the answers, but I will promise you better results if you will silence, listen to me as I close, if you will silence the loud voices of culture, well-meaning family and friends, and the loudest voice of all, your own need for immediate gratification. If you will silence those voices and look to the God who made it all and say, I am weak, strengthen me. I am ignorant, enlighten me. Let's pray it together right now. I am weak, strengthen me. I am ignorant, enlighten me. That's what we're going to go to God, and God is going to begin to shift things in your life and change things in your life because your whole way of thinking is going to be reoriented, and it's called lordship. It, what, what, you know what's going to happen to you? It's, it's, a, it's a biblical word. It's called you're going to get salvation. You're going to get salvation. If, if we confess in our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And that's where we're headed. We're headed to become a bunch of saved people. Hallelujah. Let's praise him this morning. Hallelujah. I want our prayer partners to come. Prayer partners, come and get in place this morning. We invite you. This is response time at Bethany. This is a great time at Bethany. We love, I love response time. This is time when you can spend some time praying about what you just heard. You can spend some time working on that with God. You can spend some time talking to God about some of the change, difficulties in your life or the opportunities in your life. And you can take communion. Oh, we love communion at Bethany. So there's, there's communion stations in the front and the back. You're, you're invited to serve yourself communion. And uh, you're invited also to come down. And these prayer partners are waiting today. Some of you need to start that journey to salvation. You need to start that journey to knowing the mind of God, the will of God for your life. And a great first step would be to step up to one of these prayer partners here today and say, please pray for me. Maybe you have one of those situations regarding your children or your finances or your marriage. They'd be glad to pray with you. Come on, let's enter into response time, people of God. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.